What's up, Hogline Nation? Welcome back to the latest installment of the podcast. Um, we are on episode 86 here today. Uh, we've got three people on today's episode. Myself, Mr. Jack Manis, and Mr. Hello. Ryan Jeffrey. Say How's what's up to the people. Hi, guys. What's up? Today, we are going to be talking about a recent uh, rookie draft for a dynasty fantasy football league that we just did last Friday night. So, you know, four days ago or so. Um, and we're just going to be talking about the rookies that entered the league and generally their fantasy impacts, both, I guess, this season and what their long-term outlook looks like, um, according to us. So um, I guess we're, we're just going to talk about the major people, um, people that are generally going within the first two rounds of rookie drafts. And then we'll talk about some guys that are, I guess, deeper sleepers that are, you know, third and fourth round picks. And some, you know, some people that we like there that you can potentially throw darts on in your own rookie drafts or um, maybe down the line, either this year or next year, pay attention to on the waiver wire in some seasonal leagues. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of today's itinerary. Anything else to add before we uh, we get started here? We're going to jump right in. Uh, no, not really. We're just going to go over uh, every pick of our first and second round of our draft. Um, yeah, we decided to bring on the most corrupt fantasy football commissioner there is. So, Yep, let's go. I'm excited. Ryan was the perfect guest, yeah. <laughs> I guess we can get started. Um, Mitchell, I feel like it makes sense for you to begin uh, since it was your selection at 101. Uh, tell the people who you picked. So I originally, well, technically, you know, this, this pick has been, tra- the point is this pick has been traded. Uh, All right. Yeah. Forth, you can give a backstory, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I want, I'll skip the major parts of this, but I'll skip to what happened, uh, you know, within a couple weeks ago. So Ryan actually had the first pick in the draft here and I decided to trade it. Um, I gave away Dalvin Cook for the first pick in the draft. Straight up, no other added parts to that trade. Um, you know, I mean, it, it could be seen as a, a little bit of a risk considering the season that Dalvin Cook just had. It was coming off a fantastic year. Um, but I just decided to make the move because I was in love with this one guy in particular. And I made, uh, it should be noted, I made this trade after the uh, the NFL draft did happen. So everyone, we all knew their landing spots and whatnot. Uh, but I made the move and I selected uh, running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU and he was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs in the first round, the last pick in the first round. Um, I mean, there's there's a million reasons why I love this pick. Um, Give all one million right now, go. <laughs> actually got into a, not really an, an argument, but I'd say a debate with another fantasy owner in our league of uh, why he, this guy should be the first overall pick in all rookie drafts and why you should really con- strongly consider getting him in even redraft leagues. Um, you know, for starters, picked in the first round, only running back picked in the first round. I mean, the Chiefs could have had any, any of these running backs. Um, the GM wanted him, the coach wanted him, and the quarterback wanted him. So, I mean, that that speaks to itself right there. I mean, it's not just the draft capital. Um, he, I mean, I feel like every analyst, you know, just regurgitates this information, but he, it's, it, there's a reason why he fits the scheme so perfectly. 
Um, I'd say he's the best receiving back in the class between him and DeAndre Swift. Um, and the Chiefs obviously like to throw the ball. Uh, I mean, it's not like he's a bad runner between the tackles either. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, he's a little bit of a shorter back. Doesn't really necessarily make him small. He's, you know, definitely, you know, he's got the strength. Um, very productive season, obviously, last year at LSU against SEC defenses. I know people can say a counter argument that uh, to the fact that, you know, he had a lot of weapons around him, including Joe Burrow. So, but he's going to go to an offense where he's never going to see stacked boxes either with Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and McCall Hardman. Um, Andy Reid, every single year besides this past year, and there was one other year, I believe, I think it's when, you know, Jamal Charles may have gotten hurt, but he has produced a top 10 running back countless times, going back to Deuce Staley, Brian Westbrook, LaShawn McCoy, Jamal Charles, and Kareem Hunt. So always year in and year out producing top 10 running backs in his offense. So he looks to get them involved in the passing game and just heavily involved overall. Um, Clyde's very elusive. You watch, that shows up heavily on his, on his film. And that's all I think, all I can think of off the top <laughs> of my head of why I picked him one-on-one. That was like two minutes. Yeah, that was a pretty elaborate spiel on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, I mean, Ryan, do you have anything else to add to that? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I'll just say that I have uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as my 102 behind Jonathan Taylor. And, um, I mean, you know, it's really a toss-up who you would take between those two because they both, you know, are drafted very high, great capital, one of the great situations. Um, but my problem is just watching the film pre-draft. I had Claude Edwards-Alaire at my 11th overall prospect, which was, I think, running back five. And I just could not have him make the jump all the way up to, to 101, even though he landed in the perfect situation for him. Uh, just I don't think that he's as talented as um, some of the other running backs in this class. Yeah, that's fair to, I mean, I always tend to, I feel like I look at landing spot too much and I feel like if you just stick anyone in a perfect landing spot, they can do well, but I feel like it's smarter to do that and stick to who they are as an, as an actual prospect. It happened um, last year with um, Kill Harry. No, AJ Brown. I mean, I was really high on AJ oh, yeah. Brown. I didn't, at the time, didn't love the Titans landing spot. And obviously he overcame what initially looked like to be a poor situation turned out to actually but I mean I don't really know if anyone really saw Brian Tannehill coming out of nowhere and yeah I mean you, you can you can make the case for Nick Chubb too there's every year there's always a guy that's really talented goes to a bad situation and, and he drops so right you know usually talent wins out and it, just two more quick things to add I did I had uh, Clyde as my sixth overall prospect so it's not like I made too too high of a jump for taking him mm -hmm. at 101 I really it was fell in love with him even before the draft so I thought he could overcome a bad situation just because of his receiving ability. And also, this is also, we can transition to Jonathan Taylor here, but this is not a knock on Jonathan Taylor. I think he's a fantastic prospect as well. So it's not like I'm, I'm saying he's a bad pick if you end up with him at 102, because I feel like in the majority of years, he would be the first pick in my book. And even this year, you could argue he is. So we can move on to Taylor. Who wants to go? Jack, you want to go? You want to talk about him? Um, all right, sure. Um, so Jonathan Taylor was picked second. Um, obviously a very productive back in college. Uh, does he hold the – what rushing record does he hold? Big 10 rushing record? 
I don't know. Second most rushing yards in Wisconsin really? history. Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, he – I have his stats right here. He rushed for almost and if not eclipsed 2,000 yards all three seasons. Um, this last season, he went for 2,003 yards, 21 rushing touchdowns. And he finally added uh, the receiving aspect to his game. Um, he had 26 receptions for 252 yards and five touchdowns uh, in through the air last year. And his previous two years, he only had a total of 16 receptions for like 150 yards, no touchdowns. So he really, I mean, going into um, 2019, uh, I kind of doubted how, I, I kind of doubted that his ability to be a three down back just simply because he had no receiving production in college, but I mean, I don't know. He really stepped it up this year. I guess schematically, they uh, that Wisconsin incorporated him in that element of their offense. Uh, but it's a great landing spot uh, behind this great offensive line in uh, Indianapolis. Um, I guess the elephant in the room is Marlon Mack. I know a lot of people aren't scared of Marlon Mack. I personally feel like he's just an average running back. Um, however, their Nick Sirianni, he's their GM. He calls. I heard him, I looked it up again, that he called Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor a 1-1 punch. Um, I mean, maybe it's just coach speak or GM speak in this case. But, um, yeah, I mean, what do you guys think that – at least just talk, I guess in for this year, what do you think this split's going to be like for Mack and Taylor? I think um, – in the first few weeks, you can see probably a pretty even split, maybe 60-40 towards Mac. Um, but I think they'll soon realize that Taylor's much more talented and um, they'll start giving him a lot more carries. And I see it being close to probably 70-30 towards uh, Taylor by, you know, midway through the season, throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm uh, like you guys. I'm, I'm not scared of Mac whatsoever. You know, it may take <clears> – <throat> Like Ryan said, it could be a few weeks, could be a month, but it is inevitable that Taylor will become the workhorse. I mean, I always like when teams trade up for guys in the draft, and the Colts did trade up for Jonathan Taylor. So that expresses to, you know, fantasy owners that the team likes them. And if, if you trade up and give, give up less picks or less uh, future draft capital, then you, you got to utilize that guy, especially when you take him in the upper half of the second round. Um. Yeah, and another thing, Mark, Marlon Mack is you know not the most durable back either, so he could easily go down with injury. That's another point I want to say with Clyde. Damian Williams is also hurt all the time as well. So these guys are, you know, getting older. I know Mack's a little bit younger. Damian Williams is 28. But these guys are not that durable, the guys ahead of Taylor and Clyde. So you could easily see an injury preseason or early on in the season that pushes these guys into – top seven top five fantasy back potential yeah and that's why I'm, I'm pretty curious to see where these guys are going to go in redrafts what round because you know at some point it's going to be a value if you think that they will take over early on or one of their um you know the other running backs will go down quick then you can get them at a value if you get them in like the sixth round or something like that so it's gonna be interesting to see where they go I mean, I, I've been doing a lot of mock drafts currently, and they're not going quite that late. Clyde, Clyde is going at the, uh, you know, I'd say around third, mid-third round right now, and Jonathan Taylor's mm -hmm. going in, like, the later portion of the fourth round. Aren't Taylor and Mac okay. getting drafted, like, right near each other? 
Right. Yeah. Taylor and Mac are pretty much right around the same point at this point, but yeah, really. And at that point I'd much rather have Taylor. Yeah. Yeah, There's um, obviously a lot that can change between now and August and September. Yeah. True. Uh, I guess we'll move on to the third pick. Our one of three of our draft uh, was JK Dobbins Ravens running back out of Ohio state. Um, I guess I'll kick us off how, uh, well, first off, looking at their stats, I don't know if you guys ever realized how identical Jonathan Taylor's senior, junior year stats were to J.K. Dobbins. Do you guys know them, like, know that comparison or no? No. Uh, Last year, they what? Both, didn't they both rush for 2,003 yards? Yeah, they both rushed for exactly 2,003 yards. Um, Dobbins on 301 attempts, Taylor on 320 attempts. Same amount of rushing touchdowns at 21. Um Taylor had 252 receiving yards, and uh, Dobbins had 247, so only five yards off there. Wow. I don't know. I just thought that was cool. <laughs> That's pretty nuts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they both heavily utilized. They took Dobbins a few years. Um, Taylor obviously doing it all three years of his collegiate career. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But Dobbins is, um, I don't know. I, I like the spot as well. I mean, people are saying it probably will take a year because, you know, Mark Ingram's still there. Um, but I think there's room for two running backs to have relevant fantasy production, even in year one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I don't know how much Dobbins will be involved year one. I I can see him getting more work towards the end of the year, but Mark Ingram is still Mark Ingram. You know, unless he goes down with an injury, he's going to be on the field. Um, So it's it's tough there. I will say with the comparison to him and Jonathan Taylor, um, even though their stats are really similar, I think Jonathan Taylor is much more talented. Uh, when you think about like the two offenses, you know, Dobbins had uh, Justin Fields, who's one of the best quarterbacks in college football, and they ran an RPO. So that really allowed him to, you know, it allowed them to stretch the field because he could go down deep. Um, he, he could, uh, the quarterback could take it to him for himself. Um, There's just a lot of options. Whereas Wisconsin, it was pretty much just ground and pound the whole way. They had, uh, who was their quarterback? Is it? Jack Cohn or something. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, not, not the most relevant guy, not the most relevant receivers. Um, so it was really the, all defenses were focused on was Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, that wasn't the case for J.K. Dobbins, which is why I think although their stats are similar, Jonathan Taylor's a lot more talented. True, yeah. Um, That's definitely a good point. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it kind of crazy how all three of these top three backs went to situations that are somewhat similar to their college? And, like, honestly, and, yeah. pretty pretty, like – you know, per, almost perfect landing spots. Like Clyde goes to a juggernaut col- college offense and then goes to the most prolific NFL offense. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor goes to a, a good offensive a good offensive line and a team with, you know, I mean, they've got quarterbacks that aren't, you know, Wisconsin quarterback play was subpar. And then now they've got Phillip Rivers in the last year of his career. And then J.K. Dobbins goes to an RPO offense with, uh, you know, a good offensive line. So it's just, I think three three great landing spots for these guys and it may have to be slightly patient but it's going to pay off tremendously right yeah i got one more thing about dobbins uh in regards to being patient um i i agree with ryan how ingram's going to be more involved this year however he turns 31 december uh he's under contract through through 2021 but there's a potential out in 2020 where i think they only eat like 1.3 million in dead money so, I mean, if Dobbins shows promise and, like, they're confident in him, I could definitely see them 
letting go of Ingram this off season. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess we'll move on to the fourth pick. Jerry Judy was 104. Who wants to start with Jerry Judy? They pull up these notes. Uh, I guess I'll start. I not not that I was surprised because these are two uh, Lamb and Judy are both great receiving prospects, but I think I would have personally went with Lamb first. But I mean, it's not it's not like it's a uh, bad pick at all if you like Judy more. It's you know somewhat comes down to personal preference here. Um, Judy's obviously a very talented route runner. Um, he had a decent time. What he run like? I think he ran like upper four fours, I believe. I think which four is, four five. Maybe. Yeah, that, I mean that's you, there's that's nothing to complain about at all. I mean that's very fast. Um, one of the best route runners that's come out in a couple of years now. And I'd, I'd argue one of the best ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, the hype has definitely been there for a while. I mean, he was, you know, like, people have been talking about him for two or three years now. So. Mm-hmm. Um, he's finally in the NFL, and um, I don't know what you guys feel about the landing spot. It kind of got a little bit of mixed uh, feelings, I guess. I mean, uh, I don't know. It, it's kind of like a fine line. You don't want the guy to be the only guy in the offense, and he gets all the target and is a little bit overwhelmed from start, but you don't want him to be buried in a crowded offense as well. I feel like this is somewhat of a nice mix. You know, you know, Cortland Sutton's a proven – you know, he had a great year last year, so – he's going to warrant some attention from the defense. And um, I think Judy will have enough, uh, you know, he won't be able to face, he won't be facing top coverage as well. So um, I don't know. The only thing is Drew Locke, you know, people are obviously hyping up heavily this off season, mm-hmm. but we'll see if he can uh, live up to that. And that's going to be the key to his success because he's looks like Denver is going to be with him at least for, you know, the, the foreseeable future. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think it is a pretty good landing spot. Again, it is dependent on how Drew Locke does, but I think uh, Judy and Sutton complement each other really well. You know, Sutton's going to be more of a deep threat, 50-50 guy, whereas Judy's going to be, you know, the, the I think he's going to play in the slot. And he's going to be doing, a, you know, a lot with his route running and is trying to uh, create separation. Um, yeah, I think he's really talented. There are a couple, like, small flaws in his game. Like, people say – he has concentration drop issues. Um, sometimes he catches with his body too much, and sometimes he has trouble separating from press coverage. But uh, those are those are just minor flaws in his game. And you know he he can cut on a dime and you know really create separation, which is a trait that translates really well from college to pros. So I I see him being you know fantasy relevant immediately um, from week one on, and I think he can have you know. A, probably similar production to to the DK Metcalfs and uh Cortland Sutton's from their rookie years. Yeah, I agree with you guys have been saying. Um at first I wasn't a fan of the landing spot as I'm sure many were because I when you see Jerry Judy you want him to go into a situation where he has the opportunity to be a wide receiver one immediately and for years down the road. Um but I, I still think, like you said, he can be uh, he can produce in this offense. Um, last year, Emmanuel Sanders he played seven games, I think, on the Broncos and got traded to the Niners. But um, he was on pace for a uh, hundred targets. Sanders was hundred targets, sixty-eight receptions, eight hundred thirty-eight yards, and four and a half touchdowns. 
I kind of feel like that could be a a stat line for Jerry Judy in year one. Um, but again, as you guys kind of said, it's kind of contingent on how Drew Locke plays. I'm personally not really sold on him yet. I feel like there's a little too much hype around him. He only had five starts, and I don't know. I have his game log right here. There's nothing too impressive about it. He had one really good, like, good game, but I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, he's just kind of kind contingent on Locke. Kind of reminds me of the hype around Jimmy G when he's had – what six starts or something True. like that yeah. I forget if he went undefeated or lost one game because Drew Locke I think went four and one during that time um yeah. but when you look at the stats they weren't that impressive it was like around 200 yards a game you right. know a couple more touchdowns than interceptions so yeah. yeah we'll see how he pans out I like that uh stat line you brought up Jack like I think 65 805 touchdowns could be a yeah. you know reasonable projection for duty in the year one yeah, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, well, I guess we'll move on to 105, which this was Ryan's pick. He chose wide receiver C.D. Lamb out of Oklahoma. Cowboys receiver now. Uh, Ryan, you can kick us off with Lamb. Yeah. Um, I was really happy he fell to me. I was I was a little torn between him and Judy uh, early on, but towards the end I decided that C.D. Lamb's just, you know, slightly better. Um, they're both very different receivers, which I think is awesome. That Two of the best receivers in the class are, like, polar opposites um but there's so many things that he was elite his ability to just find like the weak spot in defenses and um you know find open space um his one of the things that I noticed the first time that I watched him was his uh his ability to move his body to get the ball on 50 50 plays just so nice like he can contort his body in so many ways to go and get that ball and secure it um which I think is really good um you know I I think that People don't talk about his route running as much because Jerry Judy is a generational route runner. But um, C.D. Lamb's route running is, is very good, you know, arguably second best in the class. Um, so, you know, he's no slouch there either. And there, there is the minor concern against press coverage because he's used to and, – and man coverage. He's used to zone a lot. Um, I, think, I think he like – I saw some stat there. It was like 90-plus percent of um, the routes he ran were against zone coverage. So it'll be interesting how he to see how he does against man coverage and press coverage, um, but yeah, no, I was really excited to have the pick. I don't know how well I see him doing year one because he is in a crowded offense, but I think he's definitely more talented than Gallup, and I think by the end of the season he should be the wide receiver two on that team. And then going forward, I can see him pushing uh, Cooper to be the wide receiver one. I know Jack's got some very aggressive year one projections for Lamb. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, as I, I said, um, to you guys that I think that Lamb could go for a thousand yards in year one, um, with Randall Cobb gone as long, uh, as well as Jason Witten, they each got targeted 83 times each. I said each twice, um, which leaves 166 targets up for grabs. I know, I mean, some of those will be tight end targets cause Witten's a tight end, but uh, I feel like Blake Jarwin, sorry, Mitchell, I feel like Blake Jarwin isn't going to get the amount of targets that Witten did last year. So maybe like the targets that are available, maybe like he gets six. So maybe there's about a hundred ish targets up for, for lamb. And I think he's talented enough um, that I think he's just going to thrive in it. And I'd agree with Ryan. He's going to surpass Gallup quickly. And again, I mean, this, Obviously, if you know anything about me, I'd love Dak Prescott, and I think that um, he's going to be able to support a lot of 
fancy viable receivers. All three of them, I feel like, will be fancy viable. Um, but yeah, I love Lamb. He was my receiver one in this class um, before the drafts. I mean, I didn't honestly before the draft. I didn't like have like rankings, but I liked Lamb a little more. And with this landing spot, I would take him over Judy definitely. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Uh, yeah. Let me. Uh, you did say. Um, did say Dak Prescott was going to win MVP last episode, so that would uh, that would support this. <laughs> yeah, I guess your arguments are in line. Right. Um, a lot of the Cowboys are going to throw a lot this year, so that's going to they may even throw more than they did last year. So your vacated target projections could even increase from there. Right. Um, and I really think that Lamb, maybe not the yards, but I feel like he could jump in and see, you know, um, almost double-digit touchdowns I don't know because he's going to be the red zone guy I mean yeah. Blake Jarwin's an unproven commodity in the red zone uh, and Cooper and Gallup are not really big touchdown guys so I think the red zone targets are going to be right up there for long. yeah that's a good point and I'm obviously in fantasy touchdowns matter more than anything else um, I will say they were the number one passing offense last year I don't know if I see that increasing um, I was seeing a stat where uh, the quarterback that was number one in passing yards, I think the next year on average drops by 700 yards. So, you know, having over – Dak was number one in passing yards. Oh, he wasn't? No. Was this the number one passing offense? Pro- uh, wait, I how does James, that make sense? James yeah, Winston lead in yards, though. Oh, okay. But, yeah, right. I, I don't know how that would – Um, I guess, yeah, I don't know. But again, they were probably the second, if not the yeah. most passing yeah. offense. Yeah. I just, I just don't know that they'll be throwing for as many yards as they were last year, and I think because of that, you know, you can see instead of a hundred vacated targets, there's maybe going to be like seventy or eighty. But we'll see, yeah. we all three of us yeah. love the pick, though. So yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, I guess we can move on to an even better pick. Um, <laughs> we got Carry On Johnson going off the board. Nope. Not carry on Johnson. Nope. I'm looking. I'm looking <laughs> at my notes. Uh, DeAndre Swift going off the board at 106. Uh, that's bad because this is my pick. I picked DeAndre Swift. Um. Well, I guess I'll just jump right into that. I am not really scared about carry on. Um. Again, they drafted him in 2018, so that means he would have. He's under contract with the Lions through. Well, he'll be there for two more years. Um. But. His biggest thing with carry on, he's a talented back, but he just hasn't been able to stay on the field. Um, he's played in only 18 games uh, of the 32 possible games he could have played in the past two seasons. Um, and I just feel like that stance is backed by the draft capital that the Lions spent. Um, it wasn't their first pick. It was their second pick. It was the second round. Yeah, because they picked Okuda in one. So it was early second round, like the 35th pick they spent on Swift. So um, that's a good sign and for my part. Um, I guess year one, uh, we can see a split. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think is in, in store for year one for, like, the Johnson and DeAndre Swift split? So the, uh, here's my overall stance on Swift. I mean, I'll kind of okay. uh, ease into your question here. But, I mean, myself and a lot of – 
you know, experts and people who do these rankings pre-draft had DeAndre Swift as the number one running back. Right. Um, and there's no denying that he is, if he's not, if you don't think he's the, the best talented, the most talented, excuse me, back in the class, he's, you know, you can't argue that he's outside the top three. Um, he does a lot of things well. Great juke move. Um, he's an amazing receiver, so it's going to bode well for half PPR and PPR leagues, which majority of leagues are. Um, so there's a lot of great things you could say about his game. Um, the Lions, obviously, are not the best spot in the world, aside from carry-on. I mean, this is a team that carry-on's rookie year, when he was averaging 5.1 yards per carry, continued to do a timeshare with LeGarrette Blunt, who was averaging, like, three yards per carry. So I don't really trust uh, Matt Patricia. I mean, maybe if the Lions don't do so well and he gets fired, they bring in a new regime and everything can change. You know, maybe they'll bring in an offensive coordinator or a head coach that employs a lead, emphasizes workhorse backs. So a lot can change if a new regime comes in. Um, but I don't know. I feel like Matt Patricia is trying to just uh, mirror the Patriots way that he was in with her so long um, as of now. And, you know, maybe you'll have to be a little bit patient, but I think talent could prepare, prevail similar to A.J. Brown in a, in a, you know, talent over a landing spot way. Their offensive line is also a little bit below average. So it doesn't, doesn't always help. Yeah, so – I've done a lot of research on DeAndre Swift just because I did have the 105 and I was deciding between the either the two wide receivers or him. And, um, you know, I kept having trouble because I'd always see mock drafts or like real drafts of him going top four and uh, always ahead of uh, Lamb and Judy. And when I looked at his tape, I just, and especially like given his landing spot, like, yeah, if you look, if you watch him, he's incredible. There's so much he can do the the, the jukes, the spin moves, all that is great. Um, but there's there's some stuff with his game that I worry if he can ever be a workhorse. He's a bit undersized. He's 5'8", um, 210, 212, something like that. So like a tad undersized, which isn't that bad, but it kind of shows up in pass protection. He's not a great pass protector. He's not a liability either, but he's not he's not amazing in that area. Um, he's had a, like nagging injuries throughout his whole college career. Um, and And people always talk about how great of a pass catcher he is. And I'll say that he has good hands, but he's not that good of a route runner. You know, if you actually watch his film, a lot of his routes are really just, you know, cutting to the outside and being that um, dump off receiver. He doesn't actually go downfield that often. You know, there are some times when he does and he makes some nice moves to get open. But, you know, the majority of the time his passes are just dump off passes. So, you know, I thought that was a, a small negative to his game. And so I just worry that, especially given the system he's in, if he's actually going to, to be able to be that workhorse. And there's another thing I notice is that people always talk about Jonathan Taylor and Wisconsin's O-line. Um, but, you know, they're actually ranked, I think they were ranked the eighth best O-line um, last year, whereas Georgia was ranked the second or third best O-line. So no one really talks about how good Swift's O-line is and how, how many holes were created. And obviously some of those holes were created because of like the subtleties in his game and, you know, keeping defenders unbalanced, but you know, you have to credit that O-line as well. Yeah. I, yeah, I see what you guys are saying. Um, I guess in regard to what you said about his pass catching, um, I mean, sure. Yeah. His, maybe his route running isn't like elite or maybe up to par is what it should be. Um, but I, I watched, I I told you guys, but recent the past few days I've watched every single snap of Swift from the 2019 season. 
Um, mm-hmm. What he, as a pass catcher, you're right. He does get a lot of screen work, like just easy, like catches. I don't like, he has good hands, but yeah, just like easy, like not hard to run routes, just like screens and like dump offs. But what he does, um, I mean, again, it's not necessarily his receiving, the receiving side of his game, just his overall um, talent is that he, I was really impressed of how he can make defenders miss. And I mean, you guys talked about his, like how he can juke and all that. So um, I guess, yeah, whenever he gets the ball in his hands, he can make something happen. So yeah, I don't know. Next Alvin Kamara. <laughs> Could be. Uh, all right, we'll go on to 107. Um, Henry Ruggs was selected. Um, he, former uh, teammate of Jerry Judy, Alabama, gets drafted by the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, who wants to, Mitch, you want to start with Ruggs? Sure. Not a good pick here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know that's what a lot of people think, but I. I agree with the majority, uh, considering there were some people I would take over him at this point in the draft. But aside from that, I mean, he's had, you know, he didn't have the best production of Alabama, and people can credit that to, you know, they've got Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell, Jerry Judy, and and Henry Ruggs, and, you know, Najee Harris, too. So, like, there's a lot of targets that Alabama has to do uh, uh, support so, you know, you could credit his limited production to that, I guess. Um, but in the, this is also another thing. This is not, you know, the reason why I don't like him, but someone either in our group chat or somewhere, I don't know where, but they sent the list of the top uh, five fastest 40-yard dashes for running back, excuse me, wide receivers of all time. And I didn't recognize any of the names. <laughs> so nice John Ross, of course. Yeah, John Ross is up there. <laughs> yeah, that's that is true. But I mean, that doesn't speed just doesn't equate to just product production as a wide receiver. I mean, people just fall in love with that, and it is very, um, you know, it's fun to watch. People run fast. I mean, that's why Usain Bolt and like just track stars. But you know, it that just that's just a small portion of a wide receiver's game. I feel like at best, like, you know, he could be a great deep threat and, and whatnot. And I know the Raiders, they did say they want to get him involved, not just like down the field, but, you know, um, wide receiver screens and just short area, like just takes Lance to the house. Like they, they want to, they have other plans for him, but I just feel like at best case scenario, like he'll have really good weeks, but then he'll disappear. So he'll be extremely inconsistent. I feel like at, at his best case scenario. And also, I, I, I don't know about the Raiders, man. I I see what you're saying. I think Henry Ruggs is is a unique guy. Um, I have him. I think I had him at tenth overall on my personal list. Um, but he's not just a speedster. A lot of people see that list and they're like, "Oh, if you're fast, that means you suck." Um, but really, the, what they're not taking into account is the fact that he has great hands. He's an underrated route runner, and he's not even. Yeah, he, he has that deep threat ability because he's fast, but a lot of his plays at Alabama are actually short, short, quick passes, like short to intermediate routes, because he's quick at being able to, you know, make one cut and be open and then take it to the house from there. If you look, not there's not a lot of, I mean, there are, but there's not a ton of plays where he runs 40 yards and then catches the ball. A lot of it is, you know, short to intermediate routes, and then he's able to turn up field and take it to the house. 
So I think that um, he's not just going to be a deep threat. He's going to be used um, a lot throughout, like on, on their offense. And I think Gruden really likes him and wants to get him involved. So I think he could end up being good. Like you said, he could end up being boomer bust some weeks, but he could eventually turn into a reliable guy a couple of years down the road. Right. Another, another quick thing. Um, where does he land? Right. He goes to Derek Carr, at least for now, who does not throw deep. He, 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 his thing is completion percentage, high completion, high percentage of completing the pass, like short area targets. I know that you said that he might run, run those routes, but I mean, I don't know if his strong suits complement Derek Carr's strong suits. I just want to, well, I feel like I side a little more with Mitchell that he's going to be used as a deep threat um, and more of like a diversion a little bit with his just defense got to look out for him because of how fast he is. Um, I do have some some coach speak I'd like to share and, and also some GM speak again. Um, so Mayock says, when you get a guy like Ruggs, not only are you getting a vertical threat, the deep overs, the post routes, you're also getting those manufactured touches, the horizontal ones, the jet suites and the bubble screens, just like what Ryan said. Um, Gruden says Ruggs' ability to keep defenses honest down the field could warp coverages, opening up all sorts of opportunities in the middle of the field and at the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, again, it's coach speak in May. You could take it for what it's worth. Um, that just kind of screams or just kind of tells me, I like I, my initial reaction is that I feel like Ruggs is going to be a, a better asset to the Raiders as he is to a fancy football team. That's fair. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, so um, move on to the next pick. At 108, we got Cam Akers. Uh, who wants to start with Akers? One of you guys can. I'll go with Akers, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so he Akers out of Florida State lands with the L.A. Rams. Um, kind of at first glance, uh, looks like a great opportunity with the departure of Todd Gurley. Um, one of the only spots that he, like uh, the guy drafted here, he could definitely be a workhorse back right away. Um, which I honestly, I do think Akers will be that. I, he's the most talented running back in my opinion. And I feel like consensus is he's more talented than Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown. Um, but a concern of mine, which is why I was looking for a running back and I had 106 and I chose Swift over Akers, despite the potential, the, greater potential of a workhorse right away. I picked Swift because the Rams O-line scares me a lot. They didn't really do anything to it after last season. I mean, they don't really have much money to spend. They don't really have much draft capital either. Um, I mean, yeah, so the O-line scares me. And I, a lot of people, again, kind of like sticking to the trend of what you talked about earlier, how a lot of these running backs land in, landing spots are similar to what they dealt with in college. Um, People are saying that the same thing about Akers because in Florida State he ran by behind a terrible O line, um, and he just goes into the same situation uh, with the Rams. People are saying like, "Oh, he can deal with it," I guess, because he ran with a bad O line in college. But I don't know. I just that's not really a good transition. That running against what are the, running against the ACC Atlantic Division defenses is not the same as running against the Niners, who he's going to have to face twice a year. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I I 
agree with pretty much what you were saying. I kind of wrote him off pretty quick when I was, you know, deciding between who I was going to get in the first round. Um, just because his tape didn't really pop out to me. And people always say, like, point to the O-line. Like, yeah, his O-line was garbage, though. And sure, but for me, it was because his O-line was so bad, it was hard to be able to tell how talented he is. Um, and then he do doesn't get thrown into a great situation. So I just I just think that there's more proven guys that have, that have shown that they are talented and, and can do well in the NFL than Akers, which is why he was a pass for me. Yeah, I mean, I to echo what Jack said, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of Daryl Henderson or Malcolm Brown. Um, I think in just terms of talent, he could, the opportunity is certainly there to ha surpass them on the depth chart. Um, and I feel like if he, if he can't do that, then I, I'm a little concerned for his future outlook. Um, but yeah, the, the Rams offensive line was ranked 31 out of 32 teams at the conclusion of the 2019 uh, NFL season by Pro Football Focus. And like you said, Jack, they, they're, they're kind of strapped. They can't really make any, uh, you know, significant additions to the offensive line. So, and and I, I think we saw that earlier a couple of days ago that they're kind of also strapped for cap space over the next year or two either. So it looks like that's not really going to change. Um, the only thing that might salvage uh, Cam Akers in terms of, especially this year, is that Todd Gurley last year had, I believe, do you guys know how many rushing touchdowns he had? I think he had like 14 or something like that. Last year? Maybe not that high. Maybe his total. Know. Yeah, I don't know. But his, I never do remember his to touchdown total was pretty, like better than what you think, yeah. So last year he had 12 rushing touchdowns. Um, and I obviously, yeah. you know, he was not uh, very efficient on the ground. He only averaged 3.8 yards per carry. Yeah, so 14 total touchdowns, 12 on the ground, 12, uh, two through the air. Wow. And I feel like that tells me that the Rams might, uh, when they get close, they run the ball, and maybe that can go to the goal line work and go to Cam Akers. So maybe, I don't know, touchdowns could, you know, give him a little bit of a boost, but we'll sure. see. As we uh, as we wrap up, Cam Akers, I got some more GM speak for you guys. <laughs> um, so Les Snead, the Rams GM before the draft, um, he wants to he wants the team to utilize a committee approach rather than leaning on one workhorse like it did with Gurley. But also Snead before the draft says, "I'm taking Akers if he's there." I think you have to take him because he's just so much of a complete back. He end up being your workhorse, in my opinion. Those are two conflicting statements. Les. I don't know. Yeah. What to <laughs> who knows? Yeah. They <laughs> um, did take him over J.K. Dobbins, I believe. Right. Right. Yeah. Actually, I, that's yeah. I don't know. That's something. Um, we'll go move on to one oh. What are we on nine? Which I believe yep. was Denzel Mims, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Denzel. That's correct. All right. Okay, I guess I'll kick it off. Um, yeah. I think this is a bit, a bit of a reach. Uh, he, he's a talented player, but I just think he's a developmental player and he's pretty raw and he's going to – he might take a couple of years to actually be super productive. I know there's pretty much no wide receivers on that depth chart in, um, in New York for the Jets, so he will be a starter immediately. I just don't know how well he's going to be able to produce immediately. Um, and when you have guys like Jalen Rager and Justin Jefferson still on the board, uh, it, it's kind of hard to see passing up on them to, to take him here. 
Um, what do you guys think about this pick? I would have taken Jefferson, Pittman, and Rager over Mims. Um, obviously, Mims is yeah. Great. He's big. He's six four, very strong. Um, obviously, very large catch radius. Um, and it, it it seems like a good situation in terms of he should get a he should get a lot of targets. Um, in New York because they've they've got Josh Doxson and uh, Rashad Perriman in the wide receiver room, so that doesn't you know scare me at all. But like I, I alluded to earlier, it's a fine line. You want some someone there to you don't want just the defense keying in on you. You want some someone to deflect the coverage away from you in order to succeed. I mean, you know, you point to Juju and Antonio Brown two years ago. I mean, both of them compliment they compliment each other well and they ended up with 1500 and 1400 receiving yards so you, you can't just have one guy do it all I mean that's not I don't feel like that's not really a, a good formula either um I said last episode as well I don't think Jack does believes in Adam Gase either and I don't as well like Adam Gase is I don't I don't think he's fit to be a head coach so I mean I don't know how the Jets are going to do overall this season um Maybe they'll, I think they'll be behind in a lot of games, so maybe they'll be throwing a lot in the second half. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about the Jets. Yeah, I guess I don't really have too much to add. Uh, I agree with every, pretty much everything all you, or what you guys both said. Um, I mean, there is a lot of opportunity in, with the Jets. With Rambi, Robbie Anderson gone, uh, he had not, it's 96 vacated targets right there. And – I don't know if you could say they're the same receiver. They're kind of similar in size. So, I mean, maybe they'll be utilized similarly. So, um, I don't know. There are targets up for grabs. However, as Mitchell said, I don't really trust the Jets' offense. Um, and I'm not really sold on Sam Darnold yet. Uh, maybe if he takes a step up, I don't know. He's got to take a step up for me to be confident in targeting I mean I don't think I'm targeting Mims and redraft but I don't know that's just a dynasty asset um yeah it's just contingent on Darnold's play and I guess the Gase's offense and the Jets yeah yeah and real quick just about Mims talent um you always see like his highlight reel is full of spectacular catches um because he can make those and he can you know move his body such a got a such a such a large catch rate catch radius <laughs> um but you also, if you actually look at his stats, I'm pretty sure he had one of the highest drop rates in college football last year. So although he can make those spectacular catches, he still drops the ball a lot and he needs to work on, on his hands. He was also, I'm, I'm quick fact-checking it here, but he was, so five, six, I'm counting all the receivers that were taken over him. Oh yeah, he definitely fell in the NFL draft. He was late yeah. second. Had to be at least like eight receivers before him. Twelve. Twelve. Wow. wow. Twelve receivers taken over him, including KJ Hamler, Van Jefferson. So well, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, it's not like the end all be all, but it's a little concerning when you see guys start to fall in NFL drafts because it's like we're we're the experts a little too high on this guy uh, pre-draft and you know. Um, what the NFL GMs and owners and coaches think of these guys is more important than what the experts think of these guys to some degree. So uh, next pick is the 10th pick and it went to Jalen Rager, correct? 
Yep. Yes. All right. So what do you guys think? When we were watching the draft live, um, a couple of our friends, I feel like a lot of people didn't have a very good reaction to this selection. Ryan, you go first as our uh, in-house Eagles. Fan. All right. Yeah. Um, from the Eagles perspective, I would have rather had Justin Jefferson. Um, I, I, at least like immediately when I, when the draft first happened and a lot of people were complaining because they were like, who's Jalen Rager? He came out of nowhere. But the reality is if we took Justin Jefferson, the Vikings would have taken Jalen Rager with the next pick a hundred percent. So those two players were the next two picks in that draft. So it wasn't a reach by any means. It was just preference at that point. And I would have rather had Justin Jefferson because I think he's more of a sure thing. Um, he's great in the slot, which we, we need a slot receiver. Um, but we ended up going with Jalen Rager, who I think, you know, has a lot of potential, but also kind of a high bust percentage. So I'm a little worried about that, but he's going to add so much speed to our offense. Um, we have Deshaun Jackson there too, adds even more speed. We have guys underneath like Ertz and, and Alshon who can go up and get those 50-50 catches. We got Dallas Goddard, we got Miles Sanders. So I think this offense is going to take a big step um, in the right direction this year compared to last year. Um, yeah, I, I actually saw a stat that was, oh, what was it? I saw it on Twitter. It was um, quarterbacks, like top five quarterback performances for fantasy or something in the last like three years. And Carson Wentz was number five, um, which is kind of surprising to me because, mm -hmm. you know, he did have that one great year, but there was also a couple years where he um just the fact that he was in the top five is i think it's pretty it's pretty impressive and jalen ray will have all the opportunity in the world to to succeed i uh i am um, initially wasn't so sure how i felt about it not that i thought it was a bad selection or or whatnot um but i think the eagles are at their best when they have a deep threat receiver i went to the opener last year uh when the eagles played the redskins week one and carson Wentz had probably one of his best games of the season that was when Deshaun Jackson was healthy and he he liked to go deep a lot so I feel like the Eagles you know I mean obviously Deshaun Jackson is back but he's he's older obviously he's not gonna have too many years left in the league so I think Rager could slide right into that role and I think the Eagles like to have that guy so you know defenses can't just they've got the underneath stuff with Alshon and the tight ends um, and then they they have a guy that can take the top off the defense so I feel like they like when they have a deep threat there. And I think this is a good pick. I think Carson Wentz has a, one of the better deep ball arms in the league. So that could complement his style, uh, Rager style very well. Um, so I think this is a, a good pick and, you know, the Eagles struggled for wide receiver help last season. So they, they need it and re reinforcements are coming. And in terms of the Eagles, yeah, wide receiver play, there's really nowhere to go, but up. Um, so, and I, I think at, at 110, the back end of the first round, if you're looking in your own rookie drafts, is a good spot for Rager. So, if you have a pick between 110 to 21, look for Rager in there. Yeah, and real quick, that uh, that tweet that I saw, it's top five active quarterbacks and fantasy points per game over the last three seasons. Uh, number one, Mahomes. Number two, Watson. Number three, Russell Wilson. Number four, Drew Brees. Number five, Carson Wentz. Okay. So, he's in pretty good company. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have too much to add, other than what you guys said. Uh, opportunities there with Rager on the Eagles. Uh, I mean, I don't have much faith in Alshon. I never liked Alshon Jeffrey, but um, the only thing is that I'm a little cautious trying to get or going after an Eagles receiver with their pretty 
evident history. recent history with, uh, I mean, J-Daw had a pretty not good season at all. And obviously with Aguilar, Aguilar with their, their last first round receivers. So I guess that's just a concern I have intuitively, but who knows? There's a lot of opportunity there in the years to come. Um, yeah. That being said, we'll move on to 111. 111, Justin mm-hmm. Jefferson was taken. Wire zero at LSU. Now on the Vikings. Um, I'll start. I really like Justin Jefferson. My favorite receiver outside, other than Lamb and Judy. Um, uh, I mean, with, I, this is a great landing spot with Diggs being gone. Um, who Diggs had 94 targets in 2019. Um, with Diggs being gone, that's just a lot of vacated targets and targets up for grabs for Jefferson. Um, and this offense, this offense is kind of run heavy, but they almost exclusively use two wide receiver sets, which will benefit Jefferson greatly as I, I mean, he's better than any other receiver on that team outside of Thielen. So I really do see he's going to jump into that role quickly, that Diggs role quickly. I mean, they're not the same. He's not the same player as Diggs, but I'm just in regards to opportunity. Um, it's going to be Jefferson and Thielen and Kirk can definitely um, support uh, two fancy viable receivers as he's, as I've said before, he's a top two quarterback in the league. So um, yeah. What do you guys, what do you guys think about Jefferson? Big fan of his uh, in the pre-draft process. Um, he was my, um, I think like third or fourth receiver. And I don't think that really changed after he went to the Vikings. Um, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him. Like you said, uh, he's an elite weapon out of the slot and he may, he may move to the outside, but I mean, I, I think he'll be just fine. Um, he does a lot of things. Well, um, not necessarily like a, a burner, but he, he's not like slow either. So I don't know. I, I think he's just an all-around very solid prospect. I think he's relatively safe. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, I can go. Um, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything you guys said. There's not too much to add. I will say, um, you know, I am a little worried that their two receivers both primarily play in the slot. Um, and if Justin Jefferson has to make that transition to the outside, he may not um, be able to make that transition that smoothly in year one. So he might take a year or so to, to be able to be a true outside threat. Um, other than that, I love the talent. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, so the last pick of the first round was Keyshawn Vaughn, formerly or former uh, Vanderbilt running back, uh, got drafted by the Buccaneers in the third round of the NFL draft, I believe. Um I'll start with Vaughn. I mean, I know me and Ryan talked about Vaughn uh, a few weeks ago before our rookie draft. Um, We kind of feel like there's a lot of hype around Vaughn. Um, I mean, I'll just go into it. He's a good pass catcher, if I'm not mistaken, which Ronald Jones has always lacked pass catching ability. Um, I mean, at first, when you – I see a committee at first in this offense, but Arians has moved on from running backs and just other players in general who lack a certain like crucial aspect of their game or skill set uh, in their game. So, I mean, if 
Ronald Jones continues to not be able to pat for catch passes. I mean, maybe Keyshawn Vaughn can slide exclusively into a workhorse role. I don't necessarily see that happening. Um, I mean, also Arians didn't like didn't draft Ronald Jones, so it's not like he like what was the draft? 2018. It's not like he went out because Arians wasn't there in 2018. Not like he said, "I want Ronald Jones as my running back." Um, I don't know. And then also, uh, I mean, with Brady, obviously now in the Bucks, he utilizes his running back in the passing game a lot. So that could bode well for Keyshawn Vaughn if he is their pass catching back. So I think it's a good situation. I'm just kind of unsure about his talent and I doubt his long-term value a little bit. Yeah. And I agree too. Um, he just, I don't know, when I watched this film, he just wasn't impressive to me at all. I just kept wondering why he was being drafted in the first round of Dynasty drafts. Um, I get that people think that Ronald Jones sucks and that he's going to take over completely. I don't necessarily see that happening. I don't think he's talented enough. Um, I think Ronald Jones is a, a pretty solid runner. Um, like you said, he's not really used in the passing game. So Vaughn will have a role, but I think it's going to be pretty split 50-50. Um, and you say, oh, yeah, he might not produce as much year one, but by year two he will. It's like, okay, well, Brady's only going to be there for two years. They're really going all in to win these next two years. And if they don't, then they're pretty much going to go into a full full rebuild. That That's how I see it. Yeah. So, um, really, it's a short window, uh, and you're, you're not even guaranteed production right away. So, you could be looking at one year of, of actual production um, from a fantasy football perspective. And I'm just not going to draft the guy at 12th overall in this year's class for one year of production. That's fair. Bruce Arians, I'm really just trying to find it, but he said something about – I don't know. I'm going to butcher this because I can't find it. But he said something about Keyshawn Vaughn that wasn't like I, – I know we this is coaches talking in May, and we have said that a couple times here. But – I don't know. He said something about Keyshawn Vaughn that didn't really like give me too much confidence in him, and I didn't have much to begin with. Um, but yeah, Ronald Jones is not very good. If anyone, if any one of these other top running backs went to Tampa Bay, we'd be in love with them. But it's just the fact that it's Keyshawn Vaughn, and the fact I still don't want to take him in the first round at all proves to, uh, says why how much I you know think he's I don't know he's 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 just a guy. Yeah, true. It's not like he, I don't know. He's not going to be, he's not going to blow the doors off of anyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. true. Uh, so, we're going to move on to the second round. Uh, for the second round, we both, uh, or not we both, all three of us chose two, two picks of the second round that we want to each like focus on more. Uh, and then we'll move on to the, I mean, the third and fourth, we just picked, each picked a guy or two. Um, so, uh, I guess Ryan can go first uh, since, First guy he wanted to talk about went at uh, 201 in our draft to Ryan himself. Uh, he selected Michael Pittman Jr. out of USC. Now Colts receiver. So, Ryan, what do you got to say about Pittman? Yeah, so the two guys I chose to focus on were Michael Pittman and T. Higgins, who went at 201 and 202. And I originally had the 202. And um, uh, about midway through the first round, I decided to trade up one spot to get the 201, hoping that Jefferson or Rager would fall to me, but knowing that worst case, I was going to end up with Pittman, and um, that's how it played out. There's there's a lot to like about Pittman and Higgins. Um, I think they're both in that same tier of wide receivers, but Pittman has produced every year. Um, he's just really reliable. Both of them are, are big guys. Um, 
but T Higgins, I guess I'll just talk about both of them in, in general right now. Um, just comparing the two T Higgins, uh, left after his junior year. So he's younger, obviously than Pittman, but he just had a lot of concerns with me. Uh, you know, he's a 50, 50 ball guy, but he wasn't overly impressive in that area. A lot of it had to do with how good, um, the quarterback play was and, uh, with, Trevor oh, God, Lawrence. why am I blank on his name? Trevor yeah, Trevor Lawrence just <laughs> dropping it exactly where he needed to go. Um, so there wasn't that much effort on Higgins' part having to, to win those 50-50 because they're more like 60-40 with how well the placement was. Um, and so I just don't think his route running's amazing. Um, there's just too many red flags. I get he can develop, especially behind A.J. Green, into a, a fantasy-relevant guy. I just think there's a lot of risk that comes with it. Whereas uh, Michael Pittman's going to go into a role where he can be the wide receiver one on the team as soon as next year if T.Y. Hilton leaves. Um, and if not, he'll be the wide receiver two probably this year, uh, assuming that Paris Campbell doesn't take that step up, which I think is a possibility. Um, but but he's a very different player than uh, both those guys. You know, Paris Campbell's quick. I think he's going to play in the slot, Paris Campbell, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then – T.Y. Hilton's going to be that deep threat, and Michael Pittman's going to be that 50-50 guy, short intermediate routes. Um, and I just think that that's going to lead to a good offense, and especially given the fact that they're going to have Phillip Rivers, I think Phillip Rivers is going to have a lot of those shorter passes, so I think that's going to benefit Pittman. Um, so I, I really like both these players, but Pittman just got the edge for me, which is why I wanted to, to make sure I could at least secure him by moving up a spot. Yeah, I think Pittman's an elite prospect. Um, the only thing is – the only thing I can really think of is the uncertainty at quarterback uh, post Phillip Rivers. And then that, yeah. that, that, that can always be a, a concern, but I mean, I'm sure they'll figure it out. Um, I mean, it could, it could hinder him a little bit, but uh, you know, it always bodes well for guys that are possession receivers and aren't like the running the shorter intermediate routes. Cause I mean, I feel like, I don't know. I, I shouldn't just assume that every quarterback can hit those short passes. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of them that can't, but, um, you know, not everyone has, I feel like more people, more quarterbacks are able to hit those kind of passes than the, the, the deep, deep ball accuracy. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it, that's the only thing I can really think of, but I, I love Pittman. I think that, that was a great pick and the opportunity is going to be there. And, um, it's, uh, not going to be all on him either. Cause they, they have a good running game now with Jonathan Taylor and, um, yeah, good O-line. Good O-line always, uh, masks a lot of problems. I feel like with a franchise and if you have that, yeah. then, um, he might be in good shape. Anyone to add, Jack? Um, I mean, yeah, just opportunities there at Rivers in Indianapolis. I got um, – I've never really – I mean, I guess just for fantasy purposes, purposes, I've never been a huge fan of T.Y. Hilton just because I feel like he's inconsistent on a week-to-week basis. He's still a good receiver, though. Um, however, he turns uh, 31 in November, uh, so he's getting up there. Uh, kind of battled some injuries a little bit. He missed eight games over the past two seasons, and he's going to be free agent this offseason. Um, so, yeah, good opportunity, good landing spot, I feel like, for Pittman. Um, I guess about Higgins, I I really liked Higgins. He was um, up there with Justin Jefferson. He's my fourth my fourth favorite receiver um, going in or after, I guess, before the NFL draft. Um I think he's going to quickly emerge as a wide receiver two in Cincinnati um, alongside Tyler Boyd. I really don't have much faith in AJ Green 
he played what was it he played nine games in 2018 hasn't played since and he got franchise tagged this year um so i don't i don't know i he'll only be there for at least a year so if not this year he'll definitely be the wide receiver two or one in 21 um so i don't know and john ross isn't going to be back i don't think they didn't pick up about john if i'm not mistaken so uh yeah it could be a good uh good future um landing i mean no like it's a good landing spot for the future i feel like with joe burrow and hopefully for the Bengals' sake a new offense because they've been god awful yeah i think it's good that higgins can grow with burrow right they come in the same year um so i think that that's nice that always that always helps uh next guy we're going to talk about is zach moss he went to uh, he went with the fourth pick in the second round, so 16 overall. Goes to Buffalo. Um, I don't know. I, I think this is, this could work. I think uh, Moss and Singletary's games are almost polar opposites. Um, Zach Moss is a big body running back. He said, I think yesterday, he said something like, if if a defender wants to tackle me, he's gonna to have to make a business decision. So he's a he's a physical runner, uh, not necessarily. He's not he's not a fast guy by any means, but I think he's gonna handle the majority of the uh, early down work. Singletary could slide more into a, a third, uh, not not just a, exclusively a third down running back, but a third down running back with um, a few added carries. Um, I know this is like the the comparison everyone wants to draw, but either the you know Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara, or Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler. I mean that's everyone's you know ideal scenario with these type of employing these type of running back systems. Um, but I, mean, I feel like their their games complement each other well, so they won't really like try to you know they, they won't have to be utilized in the same way. Um, so I think this could work out. I don't in terms of a prospect for Zach Moss. I mean I didn't really look into him too much. I know he had a he had a productive year last year at Utah, I believe. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think this wanna is... Say, I want to say he was their leader in uh, rushing yards. I don't know if that was his career or just that year. But I'm in, pretty sure in Utah he Utah school history? Yeah. I don't know. We, we can... Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to double check that, yeah. But um, I think at this point in the drafts, um, honestly, I think... I, I don't know. I think I would have maybe even considered Zach Moss over Keyshawn Vaughn. I don't know. Well, that's kind of bold. I would have taken Vaughn, but um, I mean, with in regards to the situation in Buffalo, uh, with Frank Gore gone now, I mean, uh, he had 166 carries last year. So, I mean, if you want to even just say that that work translates into what Moss is going to see, I mean, that's like over 10 carries a game. Um, I mean, Singletary will be there for at least three more years right because he was drafted last year um but it could work out as you got as Mitchell was saying um mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of assumed Moss uh is gonna get the goal line work um but when, this, when Josh Allen doesn't exactly yeah like Allen is I feel like it's gonna just kind of be a touchdown vulture so I don't know it's that's a little uh I guess a, a warning sign or a caught something to be cautious about I guess yeah, I think uh, if anything, this hurts Singletary's value a lot because now he's third in the pecking order in terms of goal line looks. 
Um, so I think his touchdowns are going to go way down, which could hurt him a lot. I just looked up uh, the record that Zach Moss had, and he uh, leads in career rushing touchdowns and has the record for career 100-yard rushing games. Wow. In Utah. For in Utah. school history, yeah. Yeah, in school history, yeah. So yes. that's pretty impressive. Um, and I, th- I think although he's like a, a bigger guy, he's actually really shifty. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's more to his game than just being that bruiser. Yeah, no, shifty, but not necessarily a burner because I really think he had a bad 40. Oh, yeah. He, so, so he had a 4.65, but he also apparently um, like had an injury during the combine, decided to run it anyways. So he ran at his pro day, he ran a 4.5. Four, I think, or something like that, um, which, you know, pro day scores, who knows. I'd say it's that his true 40 time is probably like a 4-6 flat, if you even two out. I mean, that, that, that's not the, the end-all be-all. I mean, the running backs don't have to have the fastest. It, I feel like oh, it's, De- it's just overrated. Devin Singletary was in the 4-6s. Yeah, like there's so many guys. Yeah. Like, Le'Veon Kareem, Bell. Kareem Hunt, Josh Jacobs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. James Conner, I think, too. Yeah, yeah it's not as it, – it's – I don't know. People look at that and can run wild with 40 times. Yeah. All um, right. Who's the next guy we're going to be talking about? We will go with uh, Chase Claypool, right? Right, yep. Um, mm-hmm. So, Claypool was my selection at 208. Um, I love Chase Claypool so much. I know I have all the bias in the world being a Notre Dame fan – also a Steelers fan. Um, but honestly, I've been trying to keep quiet about Chase Claypool uh, prior to the draft um, and prior to our rookie draft because of how much I loved him. I've obviously – I've watched every single Notre Dame game this year I've seen, and I was just consistently impressed by how good Claypool is, particularly at contested catches and 50-50 balls. Um, I mean, I think – there's not really – I've been watching Notre Dame football for uh, – oh, I mean, for my whole life, I guess. And there's not really a receiver. There's no receiver I, I was more impressed with watching from Notre Dame, like better than Golden Tate, better than Michael Floyd, Will Fuller, Miles Boykin, but – St. Brown. <laughs> definitely better than St. Brown. I was not high on him uh, in 2018. Um, but – and he goes to – uh, a great landing spot with the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers are, I mean, not even just my bias saying this. I feel like the Steelers are regarded as the uh, the wide receiver you of the NFL if they were a college team. Uh, they consistently produce uh, fantasy viable receivers. Um, and I feel like that this uh, – Whenever I just I just see Chase Claypool and particularly his size, I just feel like he's gonna produce like Martavius Bryant, and I mean with he's gonna be like Martavius Bryant without the off-field issues. Um, I mean if, and that's a great value in the late second round. So, yeah, that's just what I gotta say about Chase Claypool. I'm excited for him. Right, I, uh, you know, it's a great pick as well. I, I I'm in agreement. Uh, year one expectations are not as quite as high as you seem to be, but I think he's gonna he's gonna develop just fine, and he's gonna be a very productive wide wide receiver at the NFL level. Just I 
I'm really high on – I think Deontay Johnson's going to have a great year this year. Um, I, I just – he showed tremendous flashes last season. I know his overall numbers may not say that, but if you watch Deontay Johnson, he, there were some plays that he looked very, very good on. Um, you know, I, his, it stuck out to me that I, – I recently watched the highlight of him returning that punt against uh, Arizona last year, late in the season. Yeah. So I think Deontay Johnson's going to have a great year next year. Um, but that that's just like not a I, I like I said, I, I think Claypool's gonna develop just fine. Big guy, um great speed for his size. Um he's gonna Ben likes to throw those throw the ball up in the air and uh the, the contested catch is there for Claypool as well. So I think this is a great pick and you know, I wouldn't be afraid to go get him in the end of the second round in rookie drafts. Yeah, um I don't really have anything to add. I didn't watch any film on him and I don't know that much about him um but I have a quick question for you guys uh James Washington got dropped in my one dynasty league and I picked him up for seven percent of my fab bunny so like seven out of a hundred do you guys think he's worth rostering at this point in a dynasty league and could he still end up producing like wide receiver two or, or flex numbers down the line did you uh yeah I mean yeah I mean from an outside perspective it seems yes but how many how many teams in the league? How many roster spots do you have? Uh, 12 team, 22 roster spots. It's super flex. And then there's four taxi spots. Yeah. No, definitely at that point. I mean, if you said like it was yeah. a 10 team league with like maybe 20 spots, I don't know, but 12 teams and well, with the taxi squad, that's 26, 26. guys. I mean. Yeah. So, I mean, I think definitely at that point. It's not like you broke the bank either. It's only 7%. Right. I yeah. think he's worth rostering. I'm just not really too optimistic about his future. I personally right. am not really – like just watching him every week as a Steeler, I, I'm not too impressed with his talent. But he's definitely worth rostering, and that's, I feel like that's definitely a good move. I think he's the best yeah. deep the best right. deeper cool. we have, though. I think. Mm. I, I guess – I don't know. Maybe not anymore with Claypool, but – I mean, I the addition with, to Claypool is just a pretty big knife in Washington's value. I mean, yeah, trying to be impartial about it too. I just, I just how it is. So, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. Okay, well, we can move on to Brian Edwards. Yep. Uh, was this? Oh, Mitchell, you want to start off with Brian Edwards? Right. So I feel like a lot of people are high on Brian Edwards, um, and I'm, I'm one of them. Uh, he went with the 10th pick in the second round in our rookie draft. So that's 22, uh, 22nd overall. Uh, Brian Edwards comes out of South Carolina. He, he was there for all four years. Um, and he honestly had – there wasn't a season where he just, like, completely dominated, but four very solid seasons for Brian Edwards in South Carolina. I'll pull up his overall stats here, but – Freshman year at South Carolina, he comes in 44 catches, 590 yards, and four touchdowns. Sophomore year, 64 catches, 793 yards, and five touchdowns. Junior year, 55 catches, 846 receiving yards, and seven touchdowns. And then senior year, 71 catches, 816 yards, and six touchdowns. Overall for his career, he has over 3,000 yards and 22 touchdowns and 234 overall receptions. So a very productive collegiate career from Brian Edwards uh he makes great catches and he's uh, just a big body receiver he's 6'3 215 pounds um very reliable hands 
and I, like I mean he's just not a burner but that's just not his his game style but I mean this is a a lofty comp but his game style is similar to Michael Thomas in a way yeah and he always gets that comparison which I think is what is well, part of the reason that his value is starting to skyrocket and I think throughout the summer we're going to see his value creep up and I think he's going to be going you know late first early second by uh by the start of the season is my guess but I really like Brian Edwards. He was my number 15 overall prospect. So, you know, it's around 203. Um, for pretty much all the reasons you mentioned, and I think one possible thing that might, you know, turn people away is that they think he won't produce year one, which I don't, which I think is, is definitely a possibility. But you got to figure the people ahead of him, aside from Ruggs, who Ruggs won't affect him at all because Ruggs is a completely different player than him, is Nelson Aguilar who they signed for like, I don't know, pennies on a one-year deal. Um, uh, who, who's the guy, Jack, that you have? Tyrell Williams. Tyrell Williams, who is on the last year, I believe, of his contract and who I don't think is that talented. And um, uh, what, what's the other guy? Hunter, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro, who is just just a guy. He's, he's nothing special. He's going to play in the slot. Um he won't really have any impact on his value. I think my headphones are dying. <laughs> uh, can you still hear me? Yeah, here yeah, we you. can. You're good. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so I really like him. I, like I said, I would have taken him in the early second, and I was trying to get him from Jack for a while once I uh, gave up the 206 to get Connor's pick, and I would have taken him at 206, but, you know, Connor's 2021 first was too much right. to pass up on. Yeah, no, that's a pretty fair assessment. Um uh, I mean, I'm similar to you, you guys. I love Brian Edwards. That's why I took him. Um, I feel like he's the wide receiver to own uh, from the Raiders. In, in regards to rookies, too, I would take him over Ruggs if I'm honest. I, I would. Um, I see him kind of replacing Tyra Williams, um, which I have Tyra Williams, so I kind of wanted to, like, handcuff wide receivers. I know it's not really popular, but it's just what I do. Um, so I, they're similar in size, him and Williams. And I just, Brian Edwards, I just think is more talented. He's going to eventually replace him. I actually looked up Tyra Williams contract this morning. Um, I, I'm going to look, check again, but he's not, there's a potential out in 2020. So I guess that it's got to be like now, but he's not a, uh, unrestricted free agent until 2023. Oh, um, so I don't really know how that's going to work. Potential out for no, no dead cap. Oh, it says eleven million in dead cap. So I don't think they're. What about what about after this year? It doesn't. I'm on SpotTrack.com. I don't see. It doesn't say anything about any potential outs until 23. I feel like there might be though, but really? um, hmm. I definitely I see him replacing Williams. Um, I mean yeah. whether they if there is some potential out we're not seeing that they they'll cut Williams or maybe trade him. Um, but yeah, nothing really to add. I love Brian Edwards as a prospect before his landing spot. So yeah, I was confident and happy. With Darren Wa- Darren Waller might be the only, like the the guy that you'd be like. I mean, their um, targets would come in the same area because Darren Darren yeah. Waller's kind of like a uh, he's almost a wide receiver. He was a wide receiver. He's a converted wide receiver to tight end. So mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, that's fair. All right. Uh, well, we're going to talk about one more guy in the second round. It's going to be Jack. He's going to talk about Antonio Gibson, who he selected at 212. 
211. Sorry, 211, yep. Thank you. Um, Could have been 212. You had six picks in a row. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Antonio Gibson, um, he is being referred to as a Swiss army knife. Um, I feel like that kind of has, in regards to fantasy, a Swiss army knife has some like negative connotation around it. Um, you should, I mean, maybe some people think you should be good at one thing or one position, I guess, but I just feel like in a Swiss army knife, he'll wide receiver running back. He's either going to be, um, there's just a lot of opportunity with the Redskins. So I'm confident they're going to find a role that best suits him. Um, I, Adrian Peterson is listed as their starting running back right now, even over Geis. And I don't trust Geis' health. He can't stay healthy his past two years of being in the league. Um, and, I mean, I have Adrian Peterson, and I he's still producing, but he's 35, I believe. So he's got to be gone soon. Um, so I do – if if – Gibson comes in and perform and can perform as a running back right away. I know he's only had something like 300 rushing yards in college, but if he um, can show he can be a running back and um, I don't know, there's a, there's a path to being a workhorse or just a starting running back for the Redskins. Um, I mean, Chris Thompson's also gone. I mean, he, I know he's battled injury, but he could be um, Gibson could be used as like a pass catching back as Thompson was. And Thompson has had, uh, some fancy success recently. And then if they want to keep him as a receiver, their wide receiver group is very thin outside of uh, McLaurin. So, I mean, he could emerge as a wide receiver too on their team. So I just – I feel like him being a Swiss Army knife, um, that's just – I feel like that bodes well for his fantasy value in kind of going against the the current of, like, what people think about Swiss Army knives. So, yeah. I think that's fair, everything you said. Um, it's just a little, a little concerning. We, we listened to on that one podcast, Jack, that he had 78 career touches. Yeah. Like that's like, that's like not in his whole career. Like that's not <laughs> much at all. So there's not much to go off of. I know he was very efficient with those touches and he showed like flashes. Um, and he is an intriguing prospect, especially on a team like the Redskins who has so many offensive holes. Um, but I mean, it's fair. I mean, you take him at the back end of the second round, so you're you know the built-in yeah. risk, and I feel like it may be worth the chance. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm not going to add too much to this one because I didn't watch any film on this guy, but I just am always worried about those uh, the gadget players that don't have a, a clearly defined positional role. So, like Jaylen. I always try to stay away from those. Yeah, like Jalen. <laughs> um, but again, at 211, it's low risk, high reward. So. Yeah, I think it was a solid pick. I'm going to end Gibson on some more coach speak for you guys. Yeah, yeah, we know. Next pick for McCaffrey. All right. Well, that, I'm not <laughs> quoting – I'm not going to say that, but I, Ron Rivera did kind of mention uh, McCaffrey and Gibson in the same sentence. But Ron Rivera says defenses have to honor him wherever he's aligned. It is going to open up things for his teammates, whether they be wide receivers, tight ends, or other running backs. This is a guy that is really, as Kyle said, a little bit of a Swiss army knife. And I'm sure he said it with that inflection as well. Nice. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good Ron Rivera impersonation. <laughs> uh, we're going to move on. This is the last part of our show here today. We're going to talk about just one guy each in the third or fourth round that we like as a 
I guess, deeper sleeper in the draft. Um, I'll go first because this guy is a borderline, like maybe second round pick, and I picked him. It's Van Jefferson. Uh, I think Ryan went on record and said he did not like Van Jefferson, so I'm interested to hear what. No, he has to no, say. no, no. I, that I, this is actually going to be my pick until <laughs> oh. you just picked it. Oh really? Well, yeah. So, well, no, I, I like Van Jefferson. Yeah, I didn't say I didn't like him. I could have sworn maybe that was that someone else. He, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I could have sworn that you said you did like him, but um, Van Jefferson is an elite route runner. Um, he is someone I, I watched two or three of his games last year. And he just made the, the routes he was running, he, look, he made it look so easy. And I watched this game against LSU. And, I mean, obviously LSU is a top team. I mean, they have, they have great corners. So he really tore him up. That, he had, that was better games. He had two touchdowns against them. Um, but the, the routes he ran, it just – he looked so effortless doing it. Um, and this is a guy – I mean, a knock on him is his limited collegiate production – um, and he, he did transfer from Ole Miss to Florida. And another, sorry, another, another knock on him is that he's older. He's also going to turn 24 in July. So he'll be 24 before his rookie season even starts. Um, but I don't know. I see a complete receiver. And I don't really think his, his uh, limited production is really a red flag, in my opinion, because he was on Ole Miss on a team that had A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, and uh, the Marcus Lodge. So it's a very crowded wide receiver room and it's not always going to work out that way. Those guys are, you know, young NFL stars in the making. So, um, I mean, he still did well. I think he had like 550 yards and like four or five touchdowns. So, I mean, that, that's all you can really do in a very crowded receiver room, especially when you're at Ole Miss when the quarterback play is not very good either. It's not like they've got a, a Tua or a Joe Burrow throwing him the ball. Um, and I just, the route running's elite. I think the Rams, you know, people are already rumoring that Cooper Cup could leave or one of Woods or Cup could leave within the next year or so. So there's a viable path to playing time. Um, not expecting too much from year one, but I think uh, he's an intriguing long-term prospect that people should be targeting in the third round. Yeah, I don't really have Jack, much to add. Um, yeah, no. Uh, I guess I'll go in with my pick. Um, Brian's still looking for one to because he had Jefferson, but yeah. my pick. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I had DJ Dallas. Uh, he was taken at 312 of our drafts. Uh, I, I saw a lot of uh, rookie mock drafts. He was going in like the early fourth, maybe even like somewhere in the fourth. But um, I think 312, even like later third, I'd probably go for him. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't, like, watched too much film on DJ Dallas. Um, however, just with the running backs of, like, of this, like, ADP, um, he has a the clearest path to being a workhorse or just a starting running back. Um, Chris Carson and Rashad Penny both have injury concerns. Um, Rashad Penny, uh, Mitchell, you said, like, I don't know if he's going to even be ready for the start of the season. Um, yeah, he might not be right. And I mean, I know they spent a first round pick on him in 27, 18, I think 18. Um, but I just, he hasn't really turned out to be what they thought he'd be. Um, and Chris Carson, he was a seventh round pick in 2017. Um, which obviously he's been a good fancy running back, but he has injury concerns as well. So, 
Um, I don't know. They went with D to Dallas in the fourth round. So that's, I mean, it's obviously not like huge draft capital, but it's not like he was um, like a UDFA or like in the later rounds than that. But um, I don't know. Yeah, that's why I'd go with DJ Dallas would be like my dart throw um, sleeper pick. Right. The only thing with him is he uh, he hasn't been a running back for too long. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. I believe in college, not, not, excuse me, not college, but I think in high school he was, I think he was a quarterback, honestly. Mm. So he hasn't been playing the position really? for uh, too long, but I like him. I, I, I watched a little bit of film on him, not too much. I also watched uh, his opening game against, I believe it was Florida. It was the first weekend of college football last year. I watched that game. He had a really good game there, and um, I'm like, I, I, I even knew who he was then. I'm like, who's this DJ Dallas guy? So I, um, he's been on my radar for a little bit longer than most people, and um, I like him. I, I think, uh, like you said, there's, op- there's some, a little bit of opportunity in Seattle, and I think the Seahawks aren't afraid to just go play the best player out there despite where they were drafted. I mean, look at the right. Chris Carson, uh, Rashad Penny thing, like, a seventh round pick for a first round pick. You obviously have more invested in a first round pick and you want him to succeed. But at the end of the day, Chris Carson was going to get the results and that's what happened. So, um, yeah, I think as well. I think a lot of his opportunity comes um, because of the situation he was put in two guys in front of him right now are hurt. Um, And along with the fact that, like you said, Pete Carroll doesn't care where you're drafted. If you're good, then you're going to play. But I just think talent-wise, he's not as good as Penny or Carson. So if both those guys are healthy, I don't really see a way that he gets much opportunity. Right. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I don't – But, again, again, it's a late-round pick. The opportunity is there. Yeah. Yeah. Pick 312, so. True. Um, So I'm going to – throw a bit of a curveball and actually talk about a guy that wasn't drafted in our draft um this is a guy you could probably get in like the fifth round of your rookie draft or off waivers if you don't have that many rounds on it's darnell mooney so i wasn't able to get him because i screwed up my fab money (laughs) because i didn't realize how it worked but this guy is a wide receiver for the bears out of Tulane, 5'10, 176 Ran a 4-3-8, so he's going to be their speedster. I don't know if he's going to start immediately, but if you look at the Bears wide receiver room, they have nothing past Allen Robinson. Um, They have Allen Robinson. They have uh, Anthony – Anthony Miller. Anthony Miller. And do they still have Taylor Gabriel? Uh, No, I actually have – I have Taylor Gabriel on my team still. He's a free agent. Um, The Bears also have Riley Ridley. I'm holding on hope for Right not very good either right and <laughs> none none of the guys we just named are really deep threats so True. donald mooney's a guy that has the potential to start this year um you know you can get him very late he is undersized but if he can gain a little bit of weight he has good hands five five and nine fifths not at five nine and five eighths uh inches so um you know he's got he's got big hands he's fast He's a bit undersized, but if he can beat you at speed, then it doesn't matter how tall you are. So I think he's a good late-round flyer just um, that you can get pretty much for free in any draft or any waiver pickup you want to do. Yeah, that's good. I mean, Taylor Gabriel had, you know, you know, obviously he wasn't great by any means, but he did have a role in the offense last year. Um, he was hurt for one, two, three, four, I think like six or seven games. But when he did play, he had one monster game where he scored 30 points out of nowhere. 
But other wow. than that, he had a seven, seven point three, eight point four, eleven point eight, and nine point two. So he That's did have a, a slight role in the offense. And if uh, you can get um, Darnell Mooney for something like that year one, then you take that every day because he's, like you said, pretty much free. Yep. Um, and also, I will add that if Nick Foles does win that starting job then he's probably going to be throwing it deep more than Trubisky would be. So that's another, you know, added opportunity for him. He, we'll see what happens with the Bears quarterback. Room. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to conclude our rookie talk today. Hopefully you guys got a lot of information uh, about the rookies. I believe this is a, you know, relatively strong class, certainly very deep. There's a lot of guys that, uh, you know, you can still find value very late in the draft. So I think this is one of the one of the deeper classes that at least we at least we've seen since we've been analyzing these rookies for the past you know three years or so. Um, but yeah, I think this is a good class, and I think you should definitely try to get some of these guys even in redraft. I mean, some of the top guys that we mentioned do have some value, and there's always rookies that just pop off every year. So hopefully, this was helpful for the listeners. Yeah. All right, Ryan. Thanks for hopping on. And yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. We'll uh we'll talk to you soon.